Good to see you all this morning. As Vince said, my name's Tom, and uh, I'm one of the elders at Hope Church in Ipswich. And uh, I've come today with my friends Gary and Fiona and Tim. And uh, a little later on, perhaps they might feel that God's laid some things on their heart to share uh, with you for our encouragement. And maybe we'll have some time to pray a little bit later on as well. Uh, Tim is from Lowestoft, so he's in his own hometown here. And he is a yellow. He's, so he's in Ipswich. He's having to be a bit undercover here. He can be loud and proud yellow. Uh, it's great to be with you. And uh, it's been a joy just to kind of walk alongside uh, the elders of this church in the, com- in the recent uh, months and to have been here uh, back in the autumn when we prayed for Martin as he joined the team. And it's so great to uh, see uh, Toby and Jean uh, coming amongst you often now and uh, just to know they've already started to be a blessing with you. So I'm excited about Uh, all that God has in store for you. And today we're going to be continuing a series of messages that you've been uh, working through in the Bible book of John. So if you have a Bible with you, you might like to turn to chapter 12 now. And uh, before we uh, tuck into today's uh, passage, children, I have a question for you. It's great to have you in the service with us. I wonder if you can think of the, the, the best thing that you've done for someone to show them that you love them. So it might be that you made a present for someone. It might be that you made a cup of tea for uh, mum or dad. It might be that you you drew a lovely picture. Just think of it. What is the best thing that you've done in order to show someone that you love them? And uh, we're going to have a little bit more of a think about what that looks like as we look at today's Bible passage. And adults here, I want you to think of a time. Has there ever been a moment in your life where someone has said something at a social gathering, maybe at church, uh, maybe at a party, Maybe um, just like when you've had friends over, they've said something and it's just kind of dropped a bit of an awkward bomb, right? And then the, whole, the, whole, the room's gone silent and you think, oh, that was so awkward. Any, anyone ever known that moment? Uh, the, the, the thing that comes to mind when I think of that was a few years ago uh, at the, the previous church that I was part of before my wife Sarah and I moved to Ipswich. And a lady uh, visited the church having not been at church for some time. You can probably already guess where this is going. And she came in through the door and the guy on the welcome team, thrilled to see her and assuming that she was pregnant, came up to her and they had a bit of a banterous relationship and he started singing, who ate all the pies? Okay. And she said, you think I'm pregnant, don't you? <laughs> and he, and the, just the, the, the life drained out of this guy's face and everyone around, it was a really awkward moment. And in today's uh, passage of the Bible, as we open up the Bible, Uh, we're going to see a moment that was a bit of an awkward moment at a party, which made everyone stop what they were doing. And it it kind of caused a bit of an awkward atmosphere in the room. We're going to see Jesus at a party uh, in a place called Bethany. So John chapter 12, Jesus is, uh, it's a few days before Jesus is about to die on the cross. So he's kind of making his way towards Jerusalem for the Passover festival, this big national festival that uh, took place every year, and uh, he's making his way to Jerusalem for this festival. He knows there's people out to get him. So just prior to this, not long before this, he had raised a guy called Lazarus from the dead, and at that point, uh, there were some people who just knew, we've got to get rid of this Jesus, because his popularity is getting too much. People were jealous of him, and jealous of how people were following him, and the religious leaders of the time plotted, we've got to get rid of Jesus. So he's going to Jerusalem knowing that death is awaiting him. And yet we see here, he still has time to be with his friends. He still has time to visit the house of a friend. He goes to the house of a man called 
uh, Simon the leper. This is what we see in, uh, in the other uh, accounts of this story that we're going to read in John 12. We see a parallel account in uh, Matthew's gospel and in Mark's gospel. He goes to a house of a man called Simon the leper. That's not a great nickname, is it? I don't know if you have a nickname, but that's not a great nickname. Maybe he was once a leper who Jesus had healed, but he retained the nickname. Or maybe he still had leprosy. We don't know. And maybe he was invited to, uh, he invited Jesus over because he wanted to be healed. But whatever the weather, he wouldn't have been a popular guy. Okay? It wouldn't have been that he had great social standing. And yet Jesus, with this on his mind, knowing I'm going to be crucified soon, and aware of some of the agony that would await him, he goes and has dinner with Simon the leper. That shows us something, doesn't it? Jesus was a, was a man on a mission. We read that he set his face towards Jerusalem. So he, he knew that he had come to earth to ultimately to lay down his life for the sins of the world and to rise again. And yet, even though a man on a mission, he had time to spend unhurried time with people around the dinner table. He understood some things about friendship. He understood that friendship is so precious, it's worth investing in. People are worth spending time with. That There's only one thing you take into eternity, and that's your friendships. And so he spent time with people. And present at this meal are some of Jesus' best friends. There's three siblings called Lazarus, who had recently risen from the grave, Mary and Martha. And he spent time with them. <clears throat> he wanted to be with them. This is really instructive for us. He wanted to show his disciples that even though there was work to be done, there was time for meals, unhurried time together, fun, friendship. This was so important for Jesus. So here we go. John chapter 12. And we're going to read the verse, verses 1 to 11. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor, because he was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole money for himself. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. And when all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. And then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. What an amazing story. So here's Jesus lounging at the table. They would have laid down to eat their meals I think we'd quite like to do that now, wouldn't we? Kind of just watching the TV, laying down, kind of picking at our food. And they're just having a nice conversation. And then Mary comes up behind Jesus and she breaks open this bottle of perfume and starts pouring it over Jesus' feet. And the other gospel accounts in Matthew and Mark of this story 
say that she poured the perfume over his head too. She was soaking Jesus in this amazing perfume. This isn't the cheap kind of eau de toilette stuff by Cheryl Cole that you buy at Savers, you know, or that you get offered at Savers when you want to buy other things and you just want to go home. Now, this is expensive stuff brought in from India. This was worth a whole year's wages. So 25,000 pounds maybe in today's money. This is really expensive perfume. Children, you have a job to do later to uh, research the most expensive bottle of perfume you can find. It's much more than that in today's money. But this is a very, very expensive bottle of perfume. And Mary starts to let down her hair, which was unheard of in those days, especially in the presence of men who were not your husband. She lets down her hair and she starts to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. Jesus, although the Son of God, fully God and fully man, he probably would have had dirty, smelly feet. Okay, he didn't have kind of like smelling beautiful feet. He was, she was really getting down low here to wipe his feet. And suddenly the whole atmosphere of the room changes. The whole atmosphere of the house changes. Everyone's looking at her. It's an awkward moment. The disciples, we read in these other accounts in Matthew and Mark, it's not just Judas that's annoyed by this. Some of the other disciples are too. They're shocked at this wastage of this money. And you need to understand that within a mile's radius, probably of them, maybe even less, there would have been very, very poor people around. There would have been people who were struggling day to day to make ends meet. There would have been people who wouldn't have been able to afford health care because they didn't have a health service to fall back on. And so this was quite outrageous to spend this kind of money on Jesus, to pour out this perfume upon Jesus. This, you, they kind of had a point. Judas didn't really, because he really didn't care for the poor. He was only in it for himself and thought, I could have some of that money. If we sold that, I could have had some of that money had I known that Mary had this. But the disciples kind of had a point. This was a lot of money to be poured out upon Jesus. It's too extravagant. It's, it's too much. It's a really striking thing to do. But Jesus doesn't complain about this. In fact, he praises Mary for this. He says, don't, don't scold her for doing this. And in the other accounts of this story, he says, in fact, this needs to be talked about wherever the gospel is proclaimed. So wherever the good news is spoken about, wherever the good news of what I've done, Jesus says, wherever the good news is spoken about, I want this story to be shared. This is how, this is how wonderful it was to him. This is how striking it was to him. He wanted this to be known the world over. You'd think surely there'd be some other stories that Jesus would want shared, right? Walking on water, turning water into wine, or some of the, the great parables, the classics, the prodigal son, the lost sheep, all of these big ones. You'd think those would be the stories that Jesus would say, I want those to be shared wherever the gospel's preached. No, he says, I want this to be shared wherever the gospel is preached. I want this to be known about. Why? Why this? Why this woman taking a bottle of perfume and pouring it out on Jesus' feet? It's because Jesus desires devoted worshippers. That's in God's heart. He, he, he wants people who are devoted to him in worship. Not people who kind of busy themselves doing loads of other things, but don't center themselves on Jesus. He wants devoted worshippers. He wants a people who love him with all of their hearts and mind and soul and strength. 
And this is a beautiful picture of just that. This is a beautiful picture of Mary pouring out that devotion to Jesus. And this is the fitting, this is the only fitting response, really. Not literally the perfume, but the, the poured out heart is the only fitting response to the gospel being received in a heart. This good news being received. It's a fitting response. It's the right response. And so I think this is why Jesus wanted this to be shared wherever the gospel was preached. So what does it look like to be devoted worshippers in 21st century Lowestoft? What does it look like to be like Mary today? How does devoted worship kind of play out in our lives today? Well, I've got two things we're going to quickly share uh, today. The first thing is this. We note this about Mary's devotion is that it was costly. It was costly devotion. This was something so precious to her. This was something that in those days, there wasn't secure banks to put your money aside in. This was your savings. So people might do that with jewelry now. They might kind of hold some things back. You know, for a rainy day, if I ever need that, I can sell this jewelry and I'll have some money. People did that with perfume and other things, expensive things back then. This is my kind of rainy day moment. Yes, I might use it one day, but it's also some money that I can cash in and cash in on later down the line if I need to. So this was really, really costly for Mary. I don't know about this uh, for you, but there are sometimes things in, in my heart where I think, Lord, you can have it all, but I really don't want you to take that. There are some things that I think sometimes, Lord, I really want to keep a hold of that, please, because this is really precious to me. And actually, when we're singing, have it all, Lord, and songs that we sing sometimes, I surrender all. He's meaning that as well, that we're to say, Lord, have that. If it means, if pouring out my devotion, if being devoted to you means letting go, letting go of that, then have that too. I wonder if there's some things in your heart and in your life where you think, yes, he, he can have pretty much everything, but there's that. I just don't want to let go of that. That might be something material, like a car or a house. It might be some experience that you enjoy each year. You say, I just, I cannot go without that. God wants us just to keep those things lightly in our hearts, to say, Lord, if it really comes to it, then yes, you can have that too. I do wonder if there's some things for us this morning where we think, yeah, I know there's some things that I hold on to. I hold on to some things. I really want to let go of that. It might be a relationship. You just know this relationship is not honoring God. But you think, I don't want to let go of that because it makes me feel good. It gives me a boost in my self-esteem. Might be some things this morning that God might just lay his gracious hand on and say, come on, I want that too. Are you, are you prepared to give that up? Are you prepared to let that go? Are you prepared to say, you can have it all? So this was costly for Mary in terms of something physical that she gave up, this perfume that was saved aside for a rainy day. But it was also costly for her in terms of her reputation. She got a lot of stick for this, didn't she? And I don't think she was someone who just didn't mind kind of people not liking her. We all want to be liked, don't we? Does anyone not want to be liked here? If you wave your hand, you are a weirdo. You really are. Listen, we all want to be liked. We all want to be loved. We want people to, there we go, there's someone waving their hand. We all want to be liked. And Mary would have wanted to have been liked. I'm sure of that. She would have had friendship with the disciples. These would have been people she knew. 
She would have enjoyed their friendship. And yet, in doing this, she was willing to sacrifice her reputation. People, she, she had scorn poured out on her because of this act of devotion. People sort of shook their head and thought, what are you doing? So she was willing to sacrifice even her reputation to say, you can have it all, to, to throw her reputation away. That's a huge thing to say, isn't it? To God, I don't care what people think of me because your opinion and yours alone matters. And that is a really big deal. That's a really big thing to say, God, I'm willing to be maligned. I'm willing to be made fun of for you. Sometimes we, we kid ourselves and we think, I just want to be as much of a normal person as possible with a sort of side helping of church on a Sunday morning, with a 90-minute slot on a Sunday when I go and I'm just someone different for a moment. But I want to be seen as normal. I do believe that we need to lay that down. We don't go out of our way to be weird. I know some people who go out of their way to be weird, and I don't think that's in God's heart. But there is something completely abnormal about a Christian. What we believe, what we, uh, what we follow, what we worship, what we celebrate is not normal. It's not normal. And so we have to be willing to say, I'm going to throw my reputation away in order to be devoted to Jesus. I'm, I'm willing for people to poke fun at me. I'm willing for people to sneer at me. I'm willing for people to say, he's not very cool. People to kind of look at me a bit strange when I talk about Jesus or I talk about what I've done at the weekend or whatever it might be. We have to, there comes a time, I believe for all of us, where we kind of have to put a flag in the ground and say, I'm either living for the praise of men or I'm living for the praise of God. I'm living before him. Where, what, have you put the flag in the ground? Have you said, I live before an audience of one? Have you done that? There might be a moment today where you say, God, I'm, I'm giving up trying to live for others to make them impressed with me. I'm living for you. I live in devotion to you for all that you've done for me. I want to pour out my love for you. And that might mean looking weird sometimes, like it did for Mary. She looked weird as she did this. Devoted worshippers of Jesus aren't normal. They never were, and they never will be. We'll always stand out when we pour out our devotion to him. So firstly, her worship to Jesus was costly. It was a costly thing. The second is that it looked like taking the place of a servant. So Mary serves by getting low and washing Jesus' feet. That's, that's not something that's done in this age. I don't think you would be particularly blessed if some people just came in by the back door right now and just started undoing your shoelaces and started washing your feet. You wouldn't want that, right? But that was a done thing in those days. They're walking around with sandals in grime and mud and mud, walking through fields. It would not have been nice. So you'd need to have your feet washed. And that was the job of a servant. That's why it was so amazing why Jesus in the, in the meal that he'd have a few days later with his followers, why he himself would get low and wash the feet of his followers. And Peter was just indignant at this. He said, no, you mustn't do this. I've got to wash your feet. And Jesus said, unless you let me do this, you have no part in me. And Peter says, go on, wash all of me then. Go on, do the whole lot. This was something that was done in those days, but it was done by the servant, by the lowest of the low. And that is something so unnatural to us. We naturally, within, we want to be served. Naturally, within, we want to be the one who kind of has our feet up and 
let others serve us. That's the kind of natural bent of our hearts. If anyone's doing the serving, not me. And yet, in worship, Mary pours out her devotion to Jesus, and it, it looks like her being a servant. We grumble when we, we don't get our own way. We want to be first. We want others to be considerate of our needs. But when we acknowledge who Jesus is and what he's done, we can be humble like Mary. She acknowledged who Jesus is. She understood some things. And she knew what he had come to do. She knew that he had come ultimately to be dying on a cross for her sin and to be dead and buried and to rise again. And in response to that, in response to who Jesus is and what he had come to do, she just wanted to serve him. That was her, her heart's response, was to be a servant. And when we acknowledge that it's him who's rescued us, if you've placed your faith in Jesus, he has rescued you. He has brought you out of death, spiritual deadness. He's taken you out of that and made you spiritually alive. Just, this was a, a real clear picture for Mary because her brother, just a few days before, was dead and buried. And there was no way that he was bringing himself to life. And Jesus had come and he had breathed life into Lazarus. He said, get up. And Lazarus had come back from the dead. This is what's happened for us if we've placed our faith in Jesus. We were spiritually dead, dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. We were spiritually dead and Jesus has come and it was through no uh, initiative of our own, no choice of our own. He's come and breathed new life into us. And we're now spiritually alive. And now our response to what he's done for us is, Lord, I only want to serve you. In view of your mercy towards me, I want to lay my life down as a living sacrifice. I want to get low. And I, there's no one that is below me. That's the heart of a Christian, is to see no one is below you. You can't look down your nose at someone. Because you were once a spiritually dead person and you didn't bring yourself back to life, Jesus did it. And I heard a Christian just a few days ago refer to a group of people in a very derogatory way. And I thought to myself, there is no, you can't do that. I don't know how you can do that because you, you were just once a spiritually dead person like they may be right now. And so we can't look down at people and say, well, I'm clearly better than them because I. I've done, you know, I've done well with my life. I'm respectable. No, we were, we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. And Jesus breathed new life into us. No matter what our story is, whether you were kind of, you know, raised by wolves and, you know, ended up kind of, you know, in gang warfare or whatever it might be, or whether you've kind of grown up in church and from the first moment you could learn to talk, you could say hallelujah. I don't know. But all of our story has really been Jesus has breathed new life into us where we were spiritually dead because, because of the way in which we'd just gone our own way, walking in the ways that we wanted to walk, following the ways of the world. And so our response to his mercy is that we can go low, we can serve others. And we can serve others as if we're serving Jesus. So when we're serving our children in children's work, we can say, I'm going to serve them as if I'm serving Jesus himself. When we're serving those in our small groups, I can serve them. I can go low. It doesn't have to be all about me and my preferences. I can go low because Jesus has won me. And all I want to do now is pour out my life. Just like she poured out this perfume, I can pour myself out now. 
I can pour out my life in response to him. I can go low. I can be a servant. No one is below us. And we serve others as Jesus has served us. That's what the Apostle Paul gets at in in Philippians chapter 2. These beautiful verses, some of you will be familiar with them, where Paul says, have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. Have the same attitude in your heart as Jesus Christ. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant, of a slave, this even says here, and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This is what Jesus did for us. Although in the highest of all places, he came low in order to serve us. And therefore God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is to be our pattern, friends, that Jesus humbled himself. He became like a servant. And we too, friends, in response to what he's done, as we look to his example, as we drink in all that he's done for us, we too can be servants. And we can say, whatever needs doing, I'll do it. Nothing is below me. You want me to go and empty some bins? I'm going to empty some bins. You want me to put chairs out? I'm going to put chairs out. You want me to go and pray for that person who's a bit awkward and difficult? I'm going to go and pray for that person who's a bit awkward and difficult. Because Jesus came low to save me. He stooped low. And Mary's, Mary's an example of this. She's understood something about Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do. And she's gone low. I want to serve him. Because ultimately, those people we're serving, we're, we're serving them as if we're serving Jesus as if he's there, as if we're pouring out costly perfume upon him. So how do we respond? Well, let's be like Mary. We read in Luke chapter 10 that there's another meal. And uh, Jesus is the, the guest of honor once again. And Mary's sister Martha is busy rushing around getting everything done. She's so keen that nothing is left undone. And Mary, we read in Luke 10, verse 42, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. Her, her face, her attention transfixed on Jesus. And Jesus says, Mary has chosen the better portion. Like you can be busy with stuff that's good. You can be busy with serving others sometimes and take your eyes off Jesus. Our service has got to come from a place of having seen, having drunk in what, who Jesus is and what he's done. And sometimes we can just let go of what we're doing this for. Sometimes we can be so busy just doing church. Take our eyes off Jesus. Have you chosen the, the, the good portion to spend time with Jesus? And then from that place, your response being, I'm going to serve others. So sometimes it can be good stuff. Sometimes it can be morally neutral stuff that can take our attention but that can then become an idol so for Judas that's what happened money is neither good nor bad do you know that money is not a bad thing but it's the love of money that is a root of all kinds of evil and Judas had allowed money to really grab his attention he thought of money more than anything else 
It led him to be a thief. It led him to betray Jesus. Sometimes we can even allow something that's neither good nor bad to just take our gaze off Jesus, to take our, our attention off of him. And we kind of end up in a mess. I wonder if there's some people today who you've allowed that to happen in your heart. Some things that you just know, I've got caught up in that. It's taken my gaze off Jesus. I'm no longer walking each day just intentionally fixing my eyes on him. There was a guy called John Newton who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. Some of you will have heard of him. He said that the battle, he says this, every step along the path of life is a battle for the Christian to keep two eyes fixed on Jesus. Some of you have got 40, 50 more years to run. Some of you may not have that much time left to run, but the battle is to keep two eyes fixed on Jesus, to not allow things to distract you from the left or to the right. Lazarus, can you just think of him for a moment? A story that you've presumably recently covered. Can you imagine the day that he's risen from the grave? Can you imagine the day Jesus has called him out? Can you imagine that he had his eyes fixed on anyone but Jesus that day? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Oh, I see Jesus. For that day over dinner and for however long they spent together, I imagine he was transfixed on Jesus. I can't take my eyes off this guy. I can't. He's amazing. He's risen me from the grave. This is what happens to our hearts when we intentionally take a moment to remember, as I'm sure we will in a little while with communion, remember what Jesus has done, how he went to the cross for us, how he rose again, raising up us in the process. This is what happens when we, when we take that time to do that, when we gather like we do. We're coming back to fix our eyes on Jesus, to fix our eyes on him, to be consumed by him, that we might become devoted worshippers of him. He's seeking worshippers who know his worth. He's seeking devoted people who are willing to throw away even the things that we hold dear. Or to say, Lord, you can have it if you want it. Or to throw away our reputations and say, Lord, your opinion only matters to me. No one else's does. He's seeking devoted worshippers. And he says, you'll always have the poor among you. This doesn't mean, he, he says, he's not saying don't give to the poor. And just kind of blow it all on costly worship. He doesn't, he's not saying don't pour your life out for the poor. He's saying pour your life out for me. And that will look like in many, many places pouring your life out for those in need. But he's saying pour your life out for me. Pour your life out for me. Serve people as if you're serving me. Spend it all on me. There's nothing more worth spending your life on than Jesus Christ. Having a life that looks worshipful for 90 minutes a week. That's not what Jesus is after. He's after a life that is devoted to him day by day. 